Welcome to the Landco Podcast. This is the year-round waterfowl hunter series, where we dissect the monthly activities of a successful waterfowl hunter. I'm your host and managing partner at Landco, John O'Reilly. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Um, so this is the first episode in the series, uh, year-round waterfowl hunter. And I'm here with Jody Graff. Jody, thanks for joining us, man. Thank you. Yeah, so um, this is sort of a joint production between Landco and Graff Habitat. And um, I'm going to give a brief rundown of kind of what we hope to accomplish. Then I'll let Jody kind of introduce himself, and then we'll just hop right into it. So I did put one out like two or three weeks ago about our um, just a little longer. I'll just kind of touch on the highlights of what we hope to accomplish. But basically, it's what do people that are like committed to waterfowl and continuously have you know, not always great success, but better success than everyone around them for the most part. We want to follow along with like, what do those guys do every month, January, February, all the way through season? Because a lot of times people see, and those guys kill a bunch of birds and all they really think about is they must be great hunters or they don't. And a lot of times it's the people that are looking to buy land. They don't understand the commitment that it takes throughout the year. Right. So um, that's the point of this, and we're going to do this monthly. Um, my clients um, aren't probably aren't super familiar with Jody. I've been following him for years um, just because of the cool projects and the cool media content that he produces. Uh, but Jody, why don't you give us a kind of rundown of where you're at, um, what you do, and how you got here? Yeah, so I'm located here in north central Missouri. Um, some of you guys you, you know, may know it as the Golden Triangle. Uh, near Swan Lake National Wildlife Refuge, uh, Fountain Grove Conservation Area, Grand Pass, uh, along the Missouri River in north central Missouri. Uh, we've got a lot of waterfowl here. I manage about you know, 5,000 acres for private landowners. Um, these are absentee landowners who you know, may not have the, the time, the resources to manage their own ground. And I, I take care of everything for them. I help them get from you know, from now until opening day of duck season. Um, some guys are a little more involved. Um, some yeah. are not involved at all. All they do is come and hunt. Yeah. Um, but I've been doing this for, you know, 10 years professionally. And, and uh, it, you know, is I, I don't feel like I've worked a day since I left my corporate job. And I, I'm really lucky that I get to hunt as much as I do. Cool. Well, you guys look up his stuff. What's is it? Graphhabitat.com. Is that what it is? Jodygraph.com. Jodygraph.com. So look that up. You'll be as impressed as I was. But so here's what I think will be cool about this. And Jody and I have chatted is what he does and what I do, they're different, mainly because geographically different. You know, like he's you're down on river bottoms for the most part. Um, a lot of your properties are, well, yeah, you'll flood the whole thing. So you're like, moist soil management, that sort of, sort of stuff, whereas we're up in more ag field. So it'll be cool to get kind of a different perspective on, on kind of what we're doing. So um, anything I missed there before we kind of hop into what we're doing this month? No, let's go. Okay. So we're also doing one of these uh, on whitetail hunting in the format similar to where like, I just asked Jody, man, give me four or five things that you're doing this month because um, again, people don't, it's January, which technically we're still in the, at least we're in the goose season here. Are you guys still goose season there? Yeah, we've got about a week left. Okay, so we have a couple of days left. Um, so, but we're already doing stuff for next year. So it'll be cool to see the whole season, um, kind of see what we're doing. But I asked him, 
hey, what are the four or five things you're doing this month? I'm going to do the same thing, and we'll kind of compare them. And three of them were, like, really identical. So we'll start with those, and then we'll hop into kind of, like, some that we um, we differed a little bit. So the first one was pretty simple. We both said we're trying to finish up hockey season um, and have a successful end of the season. So what do you mean when you say that? Because it might be a little different than I do. Um, and I'll admit, first, I'm not a big goose hunter. I I own a club, so a lot of my guys are. So I, I'm out there kind of um, making sure that it's good for them. And my personal farm, I have other friends that hunt, so I make sure it's good for them too. Um, but what are you doing when you're saying it? You're focusing on finishing strong. I mean, a lot of it's, you know, trying to figure out where the birds are at, you know, what they're using and, and how we can try to get to them. Um, you know, right here outside of the town that I live in, uh, we've got Thomas Hill Reservoir that stays open year round. So when it gets cold, like it did last week, and we get some snow on the ground, um, you know, we see our honker numbers increase. Um, we probably have better numbers now than we have, you know, the entire rest of the season. Yeah. Um, so, so right now we're doing a lot of scouting, trying to figure out where they're at. Um, you know, it's going to warm up. The sun's going to shine a little bit this weekend. And, and so prior to the Super Bowl game, uh, we're going to try to get out Sunday morning and, yes. and with a big West wind, we've got a great pit that, uh, we'll, we'll try to get them out of, I mean, we've got maybe 10,000 honkers in the area. Um, it's yeah. quite a few for us, mm-hmm. uh, but, um, you know, this is, this is kind of the end. We've got, you know, just a week left and, and, uh, trying to finish it up strong. So you guys are kind of running and gunning. You have pits kind of spread out through the area. So you're just trying to figure out where, what's your best, you know, point of attack on location. Right. So, so a couple of things. One, we'll try to, we'll try to find feeds in cornfields. And if we can't, if we can't get permission or, or get on one of those cornfields, uh, try to identify those areas, whether it's a farm pond or a wetland or, you know, a WRP track where we can run traffic on those birds. Okay. When they're going point A to point B. Okay. So ours is a little, our, as we expected, ours is a little different because for the most part, we're limited to where we hunt. Like we, um, like double clucks, a thousand acres or so and my farm's only 120. So, like, we're trying to get them there. We don't have the – we can run and gun, but most of them are guys. They like to hunt their own property or, you know. So, we are – I'm making sure the equipment is running. Uh, I'm making sure holes are big enough. Um, a lot of our lakes will fluctuate. So, like, we have a bunch of ice eaters running. Like, I think on a double click we have – I don't I don't know how many – 10 or 12 aerators and ice eaters. And, like, at my personal lake, we have an ice eater. And – You've seen those things, man. Like you got to adjust them perfectly to get the max amount of water. And if your water comes up a foot, you're no longer adjusted correctly. So, this last week, like if if, if you don't have open water, you can still shoot a bunch of birds, but you have to have a good spot and be right where they want to be. So we're making sure that our holes are good uh, and that sort of thing. So different, but the same end goal, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, we, and we've got ice eaters running all over the place too. You know, trying trying to keep water open. Uh, you, you know, sometimes we'll stack up birds in those spots. Yeah. Let them stack up for four or five days, two weeks, and then, you, you know, plan a hunt and go and get them. So that's what we're lucky to have. Uh, so Jason hires the farm manager out at Double Club. We're lucky to have him because he spends a ton of time out there doing like exactly that. It's like he'll sit at the lodge and this is where it's different too because like we don't have hardly a tree on our property. He could see almost the entire property from the lodge. So he'll 
he's doing kind of a little recon and be like, hey, they've been hitting that wall how many three or four days to see call the members or call some owners or whatever it is. So that that's a big part of it. Because if you're on the X, um, can't beat it, right? Right, right. So, okay. Um, well, let's move on to the next one. will be a little um, probably a little more in depth. And we both put this like we audit last year. Um, maybe we audit that in different terms. But when you're saying like, you know, you're talking duck numbers, talking where you killed them in different holes. What are you talking when you say audit your previous season? So we kind of take a look back at, you know, when the birds showed up, what they what, what they were using first in, in terms of habitat types, uh, what elevations they were keying on early in the season. And then with each weather event or migration. What do you mean by what do you mean by that? What elevations they're keen on? What do, you, what do you mean by that? So, so early on with, we stagger our, our flooding of our wetland units and yeah. our ag units. So we try to stage that water level in three or four, maybe five stages, depending on, you know, the overall volume of the pool. Okay. Um, and, and try to, try to understand, where at in the pool those birds were using when based on the the water levels that we had try to identify what food sources they were using and okay. so it just helps pinpoint what they were using what time of year and why they were using it okay. and gives us a little better idea of you know do we need to move this pit do we need to add another pit you know in this location for early season do we need to add another pit for mid-season over here um, you, you know, in a little different location, just helps us hone in on where. Did you get a phone call? The, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, where, where the the What's that? Okay. I said that's one of the downfalls of this software. We're using our phones here. So when we get a phone call, yeah. there's nothing we can do. Um, go back to, so I get it. You're trying to figure out what elevations those ducks are hitting it and That'll kind of tell you what they're using based on and what they're eating based on what level that's at, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and and you know a, a mallard duck can only can only feed from you know two inches to eighteen inches of water. Yeah. If they get above that water level, they're going to have to be eating something on the surface or above the surface, like my lower corn. Yeah. Um, as a dabbler, you know that duck is only so long, and whenever he puts his tail in the air, he can only reach so far to the bottom of the, the surface of the wetland. Right. Um, okay. Well, what were your findings this year? Have you gone through all that stuff and ironed it out? You guys have yeah. a good year. And it doesn't, we, you're talking about numbers too, you know, but a lot of that stuff, we chat about that is sort of beyond out of your control. So numbers don't tell the entire story, um, mm -hmm. but they're certainly part of it, right? Right. Right. Um, migration events um, can have a, a huge play in, in what we see each year. Uh, this year, you know, by the 10th of October, we had a tremendous amount of ducks, including a, a fair amount of mallards. That's, you know, a, a little earlier than our traditional uh, kind of uh, migration timing. But each year brings something a little different. Um, by the time that our season opened up in early November, a lot of our early migrants, teal, shovelers, pintails, gabble, they were already, they were already gone. Yeah. And and so 
part of the reason that we're looking at the, the harvest data and the duck numbers that we had and, and when we had them is because the Missouri Department of Conservation is actually having a, an open meeting, a, kind of a public comment period to help strategize or, okay. or meet the public's wants for season timing. Um, three or four years ago, we went to the first weekend of November instead of the last weekend of October for an opening date for the North Zone. Yeah. And so tonight I'm headed to Columbia to go uh, sit down and, and listen to the information they're going to present and talk with a bunch of other guys about what we'd like to see, um, whether there's any change or not in their season timing. So okay. it just helps me understand going through all the information that we have, the harvest data that we have, um, the notes that we took, the, the timing of the different migration events throughout the fall. Yeah. Um, all, all will help kind of paint the picture um, when it comes to start discussing season timing. Cool. Well, ours is similar. Different in that you're talking kind of moist soil plants a lot more than we are um, because we're mostly ag stuff. But like, so this year um, we were forced to do things differently than we usually do just because of the weather. Like, for the first time in four or five years, we could not plant corn. Like, we tried and it just it was too wet. Uh, but what that meant for us was that it gave us a chance to kind of audit some stuff that we normally don't do. So we're looking at stuff like we had more millet and buckwheat than we've ever had. And it changed things a little bit. Like, you know, flight pass changed a little bit based on that stuff. We got to see them hitting different spots that they usually don't. Um, and it wasn't all, like, good, you know, but at least at least we get that data. So we're going over that saying, and we chatted before, like, the first two weeks of the season was incredible, like lights out. And part of that is that we had an early migration too. But part of that is we were prepared for that and had stuff that they wanted when we got here. You know, because it wasn't cold out really. Um, they just showed up early. So that's what we're doing, trying to say, like, hey, did this work? We're obviously going to go back to more corn next year if we can. But now we're like, do we plant some more millet here in preparation for an early, an early migration? Because We've had early stuff before in all corn, and they don't like everybody wants corn, right? At least they do here. And sometimes they get here early, and that's not exactly what they want. You know, if you're getting those 40, 50 degree days, it's fun to walk through the corn, you know, and your waiters, but it's not always what they want. So that's the king. Yes. So that's what we're going over now. Um, and we'd also chat about this. A lot of what we have. Um, or managed is either a new properties or b new projects new wetlands and you can at least for us you can make or develop or design anything exactly how you want it doesn't mean that that's how it's gonna like that the ducks are gonna do what you think they should do i mean we one of my personal farms we designed a wetland with a little underwater peninsula um where we could like stack you know, and like dry, flooded stubble behind us. We're like, they're going to come from the south. They're going to land right in front of us. And it's just, it didn't happen that way at all. So we're also auditing, like, what are their natural flight patterns? Because sometimes it's easier just to, it's easier just to be like, okay, this is what they want to do. Let's set up for that instead of forcing what we think should work. So that's also part of it. And I'm sure that's the case down there as well, or over there, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Um scouting can be you know 90 percent of the battle a lot of times uh we'll, we'll see ducks that will travel tree lines they'll travel 
old creek channels as opposed to a straightened creek channel. Um, you know, they'll they'll fly down one edge of the timber because you know there's there's water along the edge of it. Uh, we, we we can only make those changes and plan that those strategic modifications to our wetlands and then see how the birds react to it. Right. Sometimes it's what we want them to do or expect them to do and sometimes it's not. And so every year that that's why this is a year round thing. Sure. It's because we have to continually modify in order to get better. Yeah, 100%. Um, so the next one that we agreed on, can I hop, can I move along? We miss anything yeah. there? No. Okay. Um, this one is somewhat related, so we can hop back and forth. Um, but we both put um, plan for projects, um, plots, and budget for them. Because that's, unfortunately, that's part of it. Like, the accounting side sort of sucks, but it's not an endless pile of money. And a lot of it is for clients. And they want to know that stuff in advance. We just don't go do it and then say, hey, here's how much it costs. So part of that is budgeting and planning. And I assume what we do is that we make those plans um, largely off the audit that we just performed on the previous season. Is that kind of what you guys, how you operate as well? Yes. Okay. So, so a lot of times we'll, and, and with a property that, you know, you've been with for three or four or five, 10 years, it, it gets easier to kind of pin down and adjust sure. and make those adjustments. Yeah. Um, but for the first couple of years, you may be, you know, varying wildly in the type of food that you're planting, the location and the size of those food plots. Um, you, you know, trying to figure out what works the best because you, you may go out to some of your uh, some of your food plots and you figure out, oh, the ducks didn't eat everything yeah. that's here. Um, is it in the wrong spot? Is it at the wrong elevation? Is, you know, do we not have enough ducks? Do we plant too much? Um, and and it, it's hard to say that, you know, we planted too much. We just had enough because at the end of the season, you, you know, that's not it. Um, you know, we're going to hold our water levels, um, you know, at, at max pool or, or an optimal range, even through the spring migration in order, you know, to do two things. One, ensure there's good habitat for the ducks on their way back north, but also for the moist soil management side of things. Um, we don't want to pull all that water off in January. We want to wait until April, May, or June to draw that water down in order to get the wild millet, the, the smart weed, and the other moist soil plants that are going to provide a little better food source than, for sure. than what we'd get if we pulled it now. Yeah. Um, so ours is similar too. We, we're, you know, we'll find a lot of times that we're out of food. Like this year when we didn't have corn, I think we have 70 acres or so of food at uh, double clock. And it was, I bet it was gone in four weeks into the season. Yeah. So we're having, um, it's like, man, we're not holding any birds anymore. It's like, we're out of food. So um, it'll change when we go back to corn a little bit. But like our plan is, same thing at my personal farm. So we're planning projects based on like, we want more ducks. We need more food. Like they ate all of it. So um, part of that is trying to design new wetlands out there, seeing if they're feasible, seeing how much they cost, doing all that stuff. Because if you have a limited amount of food and it's gone, kind of done. I mean, you can shoot some birds, but it's it's over at that point for us. So um, that's similar too. And it, so most of your stuff is for clients, right? Yeah. And so when you're talking like, hey, we need to. Um, in this water control structure we need this much more stuff like that 
that gets in, involved, right? Like you have to spit out like what that whole project will cost and to see if you want to do it or not. Yeah. So we look at a restoration plan and, and we take into consideration the infrastructure. Um, you know, that's, that, that's where the meat and potatoes from the development comes from. Yeah. Uh, so identifying levee heights, full pool height, uh, the amount of dirt needed for those levees, the, the size of the water control structure that we needed, um, the cost of that water control structure, you know, figuring out what the plan is and then tying costs to the plan uh, allows you to present, you know, something and, and figure out, you know, this may be a 10 year plan. Some guys can take that 10 year plan and have the budget to do it in two years. Right. So for some guys, it's going to take 15 years, but we try to break it up into manageable chunks so that, regardless of your budget, we can work towards that end goal. Sure. And so identifying that up front is most important. So we know where we're going. And yeah. each each project that we do is all in line with the strategic vision of the property. For sure. So and we hadn't planned to talk about that, but we talk about that with our clients all the time because different goals come with different like plans and budgets. I mean, it's not, I don't know about you, but a lot of our clients are not all about like, they don't care. They don't want to shoot a thousand bucks. Like they want to shoot. I want to be able to take my grandson four times a year and have a good hunt. And those plans could be different. It's like, okay, you're not going to hunt very much. Let's design it differently. So a lot of times people are like, ah, oh, that's high dollar stuff and out of my league. It's not always the case, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can, we have several wetlands that you can't hunt every day. You, You'd burn them out if you shot every day. But if you hunt once a week, once every two weeks, they can be dynamite. Those little spots can be great. Mm-hmm. Same thing down where you're at? Yeah. So, you know, the guys who do want a thousand bird a year club, um, you, you know, we, we we look at not only the, the habitat diversity, um, the size of the property, the amount of food that we're going to have on the property, but also the amount of, of the property that we're going to try to refuge. Right. Because... We, we can't just go in and bang at them every day and, you know, 60 days of the season and try to kill 15 ducks a day and get to our thousand birds yeah. um, without some kind of refuge. Now, if we can, if we can design a refuge and put that in a location where we're going to create traffic over our property, then it's a little easier to set up those loafing areas um, and give yourself an opportunity <coughs> to run every day. A friend of mine, uh, Jim Runkrest, told us last year at our workshop that there's two places you can kill a duck. One is where he's going, but, you know, where he's feeding. And another place is, uh, you know, a spot he doesn't mind going to. And so you can either kill him in the corn or you can kill him in the little moist soil unit between the corn and the refuge and, and try to hit him in between. Um, talk them in to come in and back up a little bit. You, you, you froze for a minute, so you can either kill them in the corner or where else. What was the second one? Um, all right, so you, you can either kill them in the corn yeah. or kill them in the loafing spot, okay? And that that's that spot they don't mind going to, okay? Um, may not be where they're going right now today, but is a spot that you can, you know, set up decoys and try to work them into, yeah, yeah. okay? Um well, cool. Well, anything we're missing on, well, food plots too, because we're, at least for us, <clears throat> at this point, we're talking, and we're not ordering seed yet, but mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry, we're coming up with like plan A, plan B, plan C, and it's like, 
what's it going to cost for A? What's it going to cost for B? What's it going to cost for C? Because you have to be prepared for all of that, right? Because you never know what Mother Nature is going to bring. Somewhere for what you guys do. Yeah. Yeah. And identify those, you know, drop dead dates or cutoff dates. You know, we're, we're not going to plant corn after this date. We're going to move to Milo. And after this date, we're not going to use Milo. We're going to go to Jack Millet. And after this date, you know, we're going to go to Buckwheat and, and just have a plan in place so that when Mother Nature does throw your curveball, you're prepared for that. Which it will. Um, <laughs> well, we decided that this year, I think, I, I think we decided that we always put our corn drop dead date at we want it to be ready to flood opening week or, or call it a week before, you know, and if we can't do that, we're moving on. Uh-huh. I think it's part of our audit. We're moving on from that. Like I think <coughs> if you have a big enough property, you can have other wetlands with other food. I think we would wait and say, if we've got to wait another week for corn, we're just going to flood late. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. this year with no corn for us, it got pretty nasty late and that's when like frustration pops up and all that stuff. So yeah, as part of our deal, we're, if I can't get corn in this year by that flood date, I'm just going to not flood until it's ready. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had, this is side topic, but you ever had your corn sour that you flood early? Yeah. So if it doesn't black layer, it'll yeah. have molding and, and man, there's no nutritional value in it. Uh, you, you know, we, we've had October floods and that corn wasn't quite ready Yeah, and go out there, you, you know, after the water comes off and it's already ruined, um, you, you know, there's mold growing up through the husk and, and it, it just didn't quite get there. And yeah. at the end of the season, they may have chewed on a little bit, but they don't get back to it because it's, it, it's just not, not as good. Yeah. Um, doesn't carry the nutritional value and i'm sure yeah. it doesn't taste quite as good whenever it's all moldy yeah i i had actually never known that because we always flood when it's nice and mature but last year two years ago we flooded some early and literally zero ducks went there like what like we couldn't figure it out then i'd learned like oh man it's got to be it's got to be fully mature and dry it's like oh i didn't know that <laughs> no, <I> didn't. <laughs> yeah um okay well we can move on from that this is where we um divide a little bit most of it due to just location and what you're dealing with to get ducks and what I'm dealing with. But um, the the boring one for me, and you can talk about it, um, and we deal with a little bit, but you are you have to deal with, since you're down on the river bottom stuff, you're, you're dealing with permits now, right? So any projects that you plan on, you're talking to clients, the sooner you can get the go-ahead, the better, because you have to get permits. Well, you don't have to, but... Um, yeah. um, so jurisdictional wetlands under the Corps of Engineers, um, you know, there's a permit application that we go through whenever we're looking at doing developments in a jurisdictional wetland. Um, yeah. a- anything that has hydric soil that has flooded or has enough flood history that it's, it, it's a uh, considered a hydric soil. Um, so some of the things that you can't do in a jurisdictional wetland are you know, take a dozer in and start pushing out trees. Um, and and the reason it's important is because that, you know, those laws have teeth. And to the tune of $25,000 an acre for mitigation if if you go in and start destroying wetlands. And that, that could, you know, be a six-week process. It could be a six-month process. Yeah. And so trying to finish up 
you know, some of those projects, some of those applications now, so that when the conditions are, are optimal in July, August, September, to go in and do dirt work in those areas, you've already got that out of the way. Sure. And, and, you know, as duck hunters, it's not important until it's important. And sometimes it's hard to look six months in the future and say, you know, we should start this application process now, as opposed to waiting until the last minute. Um, sometimes it's tough. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit, uh, you know, trying to get our clients and potentially new customers to come out and, and talk to us now, this time of the year versus, you know, the summer, you know, two weeks before that drop dead date for planting corn mm -hmm. um, or, or, you know, a month before season, trying to get a water control structure put in or a levee built or a well drilled. I mean, um, now is the time to be planning our projects for next season and, and waiting only increases the odds that we're not going to get it all done. Not getting done. So I, <clears throat> we stress that in almost every podcast we do. And it's no different here. And it sounds like it's probably more important to you. Part of the, the value is this, that like, we don't care if everyone uses us. Part of this is like a lot of our clients do this stuff themselves. And it's like when you're planning and budgeting, just make sure you have the time too, because time is sometimes more of an enemy than money in at least in our, so it's like make that plan and see if you have the time to do it. And if you don't and you need help, um, which is, you know, we hope they use us or you, but, use whoever you want but the earlier that you tell us that's why it's good to do it now because if you want a wetland built for the spring or to flood in the summer we could probably do it now if they call us in even two months it's not going to happen so but we don't have to deal with permits either for the most part so it's probably even more important in your case because somebody calls you and wants something done down in those soils you're talking about it may not happen, even if they call now, maybe, right? Right. De depending on whether or not a permit is actually required. A lot of times we can get out of, you know, the required permit um, by providing enough information uh, for them to determine that uh, a permit is not required. Yeah. That, that process is more of the six-week process. The six to nine month, to, you know, I've seen them last longer than a year is when you got to open up the the permit application for public comment and, you know, contact all your neighbors and, and go through that. Um, so it can take a while. And, you know, while we're on the subject, it probably makes sense to talk about uh, WRP properties. Yeah. If you plan to do anything more than normal maintenance, you plan to move any dirt or change any uh, of the infrastructure or change any of the levees, you should have a, a compatible use authorization that is signed and, and approved by the NRCS. Um, so I don't know how much WRP ground you guys got up there. We've we got a lot around here. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's just like applying for a variance. We do that a lot, um, probably more so in like, um, like the normal CRP stuff, the like grasses for like white tail properties is a little more common here. So people want to go out and <clears throat> I won't say nobody pays attention to the rules of that stuff, but we do, you know, it's like we get out there and they want to plant food plots. And it's like, well, if you want to plant more than 10% of whatever their contract is, we need to go ask them. We need to apply. And usually the answer is yes, if we have a good reason to do it. But um, that's where we run into that a little bit. But I assume it's the same on the WRP contracts. If you're going to do something different, um, you have to plan for it. And, and that's not a, 
I like all those guys, but they're all, you know, state employees and they don't move as fast as sometimes private guys do. So the sooner you start that, the better, right? Yeah. Cool. Um, let's talk about, I had um, one that you probably didn't have, but I, I almost guarantee you're doing it. And then I'll bounce back to one that you have because I think it's um, it's um, kind of a foreign concept to me. So I, I found it kind of interesting. So let's wait on that one, which would be the uh, vegetation management stuff. Mm-hmm. But what we're also doing now is um, we're kind of like, with the audit of what we're planning to do, we're going back to our equipment and saying, do we have the right stuff? The stuff that we have that we need is in good enough shape. Um, because for us, that is a year-round deal. Like we, we plant rough ground. We're fixing and repairing equipment all the time. And that can even be all the way to like just simple bush hogging. Like, you know, we like plants like the stuff to look good. So it's not always about like, hey, we need a 16-year-old planter. It's like, do we have what we need to manage this guy's property? efficiently and that's not a fun job I, I hate all that stuff but that you have to do it because when you hit when you hit planting season that is the last thing you want to do same story with you guys yeah so <clears throat> the old adage is there's no substitute for the right tool um and it's very true. Uh, a lot of times what we're doing in wetlands and waterfowl hunting properties, uh, these are properties that other farmers gave up farming. And so we've got to change tactics, sometimes even change the equipment that we're trying to use, um, you know, in, in order to get it done. Uh, but this time of year is, is, you know, once you get those projects kind of planned out, then, you know, looking back, like you said, at the equipment that you have, do you need do you need to add equipment? Do you need, need to add another piece? Do we need to get a bigger piece or a smaller piece? Or do we need a new forestry head or, you know, a new attachment for a skid steer? Do we need to replace the bearings on the ditcher? Do we need a bigger ditcher? You, you know, there's a uh, hundred different things that can change with each new management plan or development plan with mm-hmm. each new property that, you know, presents different obstacles and, and roadblocks and, and hurdles to jump on the way there. For sure. And if you're a, a private landowner that's not going through somebody else, it's like, what do we need to do this? And if I don't have it and I don't want to buy it, who has it? Like, let's track those guys down now because if I don't, it's over. Or like if we have a project that, you know, we have big equipment, not huge, man. Like, so a lot of times we're bringing in outside contractors on stuff that's, um, you know, outside of the equipment that we have, which is fine. We have local guys that we work with great, but those are guys that we're also tracking in addition to like, Hey, let's make sure all our equipment is fine. It's like, Hey, you know, client X wants to do this this year. We can't, we're not prepared to do that unless we have guys lined up and they're similar to us. And if you expect them to show up April 1st, they better know about it now. And probably worse than us, like having a dozer excavator show up when you say, I don't know if it's different there. Like here it is near impossible i i've never heard a dirt work guy say yeah i'm running ahead of schedule <laughs> uh and and it, it's tough because they're relying on mother nature mm-hmm. they only get so many days a year that they can work and you know they've got they probably have their entire summer scheduled already yeah. and you know right now guys are going to be if the weather were permitting 
um, they'd be working on tiling and terracing and, you know, rebuilding levees. They're going to be, you know, certain months out of the year where they're going to have their time allocated. And so the sooner you talk to an excavation contractor, the better. Yeah. And not all contractors are have the same experience level. You may find somebody that can come and, and do the work, but it's the first time they've ever done it. And so finding somebody with the experience can be almost as important as the timing because um, you don't want to go in and have to do it twice. So like sometimes it's like I'm looking in the mirror. I tell, so I tell clients because we have different contractors that are also different prices, different price points uh, according to their equipment. They're like, they're always like, well, this guy's pretty high. It's like, well, he moves twice as fast and he's never screwed anything up. We've never had to fix anything. So that yeah. might be true, but there's reasons people are priced differently. Mm-hmm. So um, that was just something that we do. And I'm sure I knew that you were doing that as well, but we do that now. And we do it into February a little bit, but by the time March rolls around, we don't want to be messing with that stuff. So um, we can move on from that because it's kind of self-explanatory. Um this one, so the last one you had, vegetation management plans, you're like, you're trying to find sources for trees, right? Yeah. And so that 100% foreign to us, because we try to take every tree down that we have to make it easier for them to, you know, access. What are you talking about when you're saying trees? You're talking more soil trees, right? Yeah. So trees for different reasons. Some for, uh, for visual screens or buffers some for thermal cover and windbreaks, um, some for buffers between pools. And, and so, you know, we, we've got a plan. We're going to try to plant 50,000 trees this year, uh, 25,000 of those being willows. So we're going to go out and, and make all the willow cuttings ourselves and go and stick them in the ground. Now, some of those are going to be, you know, three by three grids where we're trying to, to provide a visual barrier or a buffer. Um, Some of those are going to be, you know, just along the inside of a berm or a spoil berm or or a a habitat mound in order to provide a little bit of cover. Some of those trees are going to be stuck in the ground around our blind sites to try and, you know, increase the the, uh, amount of woody vegetation around our blinds in order to help us hide. you know, some of the other species on the list are buttonbush, um, one of the most underrated habitat types uh, in north central Missouri is that shrub scrub habitat where birds have thermal cover. They have uh, a higher a higher prevalence of invertebrates. They can, you know, these are loafing areas. It's not as sexy as, you know, flooded corn, yeah. but th- these are areas that birds use throughout the year, you know, not just when it's cold or, or not just before they, you know, are packing up the leaf. Um, so button bush, willows, uh, we're, we're going to plant a bunch of pin oaks too. Um, we're going to be doing some bare root seedlings. We're going to be transplanting some trees. And we're also going to be, uh, you know, putting in some trees that are, you know, RPM trees from nursery that come in a three-gallon pot. Right. So... We're looking around now trying to identify areas where we can go and cut willows. We're trying to identify who has the, the quantity of trees that we need, um, you know, and at what stage they have them at. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I'm working with the nursery now looking at our five-year plan. How many trees can they get started this year? So in three years, 
we've, yeah. got, we, we've got the quantity that we need to plant. And so, I mean, you start talking, you know, quarter million trees over the next five years and um, you're going to run out of <laughs> stores if you're not planning for that. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of different ways that we use them. Um, and, and there's a lot of different ways to propagate them. Uh, and you know, we'll identify different, everything's going to be the springtime where we're working in a wetland area. Uh, if we're doing any, you know, tree plantings on higher ground, you know, around the lodge or in, in deer hunting up, uh, on deer hunting properties, we're probably going to do those in the fall as a dormant planting. Okay. Um, but most of our our wetland units most of our wetland tracks have pretty tight soil that really don't have trouble with drying out um normally they're too wet and so you, you know that fear or um that issue that a lot where that mortality rate comes from is a lot of times it's trees drying out yeah, okay. running, running out of water um so we we really don't have that in the areas that we're going to be planting them on on the duck hunting property so uh it's almost all going to be a spring planting that's a okay. that's a pretty long haul and you, you know let's say three or four weeks of optimal planting time yeah you can have your hands full yeah i think i'm gonna have found those weeks i think i'm gone that would help you <laughs> Um, okay. Well, we're a little over, man. We're at like 41 minutes. I like to keep them 30, 35, but, um, I had a kind of like a question. I haven't even talked to you about this part of it, but like, it's so cool if I just ask you a question that's not related at all, because you get to talking about some of this stuff and some of this doesn't work here. And I'm just kind of curious. So like you're talking Milo planting sorghum and uh -huh. in my mind, that should be an incredible food source. They will not, we've tried it four or five times they will not eat it here do they hit it there in missouri is it a good food source for you guys and it it's been phenomenal gosh that makes it even worse for me I, I <laughs> from from literally september during teal season right right now the hunkers and the swans are hitting it really yeah and and, and is it like a white the um white head sorghum well, I, I plant I plant them side by side. Okay. They'll, they'll eat the red before they eat the white. Really? And and I, I think it's the nutritional value in it. Um, and those ducks, you know, sometimes we'll plant that where we don't get deep enough water for corn. Yeah. Where the ducks can reach the ears, mm -hmm. um, because the birds will knock it down. You you've seen ducks hop up over yeah. each other. And mm -hmm. they can knock down those Milo stalks pretty easy and, yeah. get, and, and get to the seed head. Man, <laughs> that makes it worse for me. I'm going to try it one more time here. So <laughs> I'll plant it and send you a picture. You can tell me right on. Because nobody, and I'm not alone, nobody, nobody. Uh-oh, did you freeze up on me? Very back. Yeah, no, nobody does it. Um, we've tried wild rice here with some success, but um, mm -hmm. that's kind of tough because you need a little moving water, but yeah, that Milo has always been like a mystery to us because it's essentially like a little corn, exposed corn seed, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and you know that should be a, a fairly or, or carry a diverse nutritional value. Yeah, um, and not just a high energy source of, of carbohydrates or or 
Um, cause it does, it, it does carry, uh, a fair amount of carbohydrates, but also yeah. high protein and, and uh, other nutritional value that is maybe a little more well-rounded I know. and a, a lot of other food sources that we can plant for them. That's what uh, so weird to me, but well, I'm going to try it again. I'll try it this year. Okay. Well, cool. Well, anything that we missed there, we kind of went through those five. Um, like I said, we're a little over, but no big deal. Anything else that we missed there? No, man. I think we okay. covered that. Okay. Well, let's do it again about a month from now. Um, and I assume some of the stuff will carry over into February, but I'm sure there'll be three or four new things that we're doing. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's catch up in about um, a month. We'll do it again. Sound good? Sounds great, John. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks for joining me. We'll talk yeah. soon.